Hello and welcome to Agony Aunt and Uncle. If you're listening to us on podcast, you could also watch us, if you fancy, over on our YouTube channel, The Sawala Adleys, where we have a whole heap of stuff going on. Um, wherever you're listening to us, can we just ask you that you like it, if you like it, share it, if you feel like sharing it. And, uh, yeah, it means a lot to us. So we haven't been here for a few weeks. It's been a bit of... Um, it's been very, very busy, but we are back and um, again, thank you so much for sharing with us, so many of you, mm. your really personal stuff. And, you know, we read everything and often the, the ones that we don't answer, we don't answer them because every week it's really important we say this, we are not professionals, we are not in any way qualified to give any real mental health advice. All that we do here is try and share our experience and to maybe guide you and lead you to where you could get more help. Think of us as an, well, as an aunt and uncle. You come around for a cuppa and we're just chewing the cud with you over our thoughts and feelings about what might be going on for you. I think it's really important what Nadia said. I mean, in terms of, we do read everything and then there are some which we feel very strong feelings about or even sort of thoughts about but we kind of know it would be uh, troublesome and not necessarily advantageous to that person if we were to kind of wade in. You know, it's, it's way beyond our pay grade. Believe you me, I, I want yeah. to wade in. <laughs> but I'm always mindful of people's safety. Yeah. So, am I kicking off? Or yeah, do I you think want so. To Absolutely, go for it. All right. So, first of all, uh, thank you so much to this person. We do keep everything anonymous for all the lovely things that you've said in your... Um, email to us. I'm not going to read them out because we'll sound very narcissistic yeah, if yeah. we do, but, but thank you. Um, I'm in university and I've lived with my friends and my boyfriend for most of the time while I've been here, but recently I've had to move to be closer to college and I found it very hard being on my own. I don't have many friends in college and the friends I do have outside of college are busy and living their own lives and have other more close friends to spend time with. And now I find myself sometimes going through the whole day in university without talking to one person. That, I have to say, when I read that, that really squeezed at my heart. I just, oh, I, you know, as I was reading this out to Mark, we were both like, oh, God, that, that must be so tough. Mm. I live with other students and workers, but they all know each other and so don't really talk to me. My boyfriend comes to visit once a week when he can. He runs his own business, so he's busy himself. I'm feeling very alone and down. Well, of course you are. Going from a house full of people I know, sharing a bed with my partner for years, so always having somewhere there to talk to at the end of a long, hard day, to now having no one. I don't know what to do. I've expressed how lonely I feel to my boyfriend, my mum, but no one seems to understand any advice on how to cope with this loneliness. I've tried exercise, but recently got shin splints injury from it, so can't do that for a few weeks until I recover. I have one main close friend, but we just have conflicting schedules and she has many friends to meet up with in her free time, so does my boyfriend. This sometimes makes me jealous of how they have so many other friends and things to do and I have no one else. My mum and I are very close and we usually talk on the phone every day, but recently she's been very busy with work too. I don't know how to get out of this, but I fear of getting very depressed and going down a binge eating self-pity path that you talk about 
here all alone. I'm trying to eat healthy and exercise to lose weight and feel more healthy as I've put on four to five stone over the past three years and I've lost my confidence. This is very, very long. I'm sorry. Basically, how do I get out of this deep loneliness? Um, first of all, it's not very long, you know, and that's why I wanted to read it all mm. because... We live in a world where we just want to know a couple of sentences. You know, people will say, how are you doing? And people say, oh, I'm fine. They go, oh, great. And I think that this was a really important letter because I think so many people, though, may not have the exact same situation. They're going to hear the similarities in the pain and the confusion and mm. the fear and the inability, the feeling of an inability to really express and articulate to other people how you're feeling. And... I mean, I, as I read this, I thought, I wonder if maybe if you did... My first thought was, I wonder if you sent this to all to the people that are closest to you and said, this is, you know, I reached out oh, funny, to... Funny, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, 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 this is how I reached out to people that I don't know that I felt might, you know, understand. Because I think loneliness is such a massive taboo mm. still, isn't it? Mm. People fear... The word. Somebody the other day on Loose Women, one of the Loose Women, said it in a meeting and everyone gasped that she'd said it. Because, and I, and I sat there and I thought, God, of all the things that we talk about in this room, we have been so shocked by this person saying they're lonely and I felt just awful. And I felt in almost a state of panic. And then I felt like, oh my God, I've got to do something. And then I felt completely unable to do anything. So I wonder if it's also very difficult. Well, I know it is because somebody said it to me. For the person that's hearing it mm. when you say that you are lonely. Mm. So I wonder if there's also something in caveating a bit when you talk to somebody. Say, listen, I don't want you or believe that you can fix this. Mm. But... I just think it's really important and it's very important for me to tell you just just how I'm feeling because it sounds to me like there's a lot of very um, busy people in your life and maybe they haven't really stopped and really thought about it. So that's one thing. I know Mark will have a lot to say on this because I don't know about you Mark but I'm hearing that maybe there's some depression in there as well and, and, mm. and I know Mark mm. will, will be able to advise you on maybe how to get some help with that and again that's not our pay grade but I'm hearing that there's depression in there just on the <clears throat> just before we go to Mark just on the overeating and the comfort eating and the fact that you've put four to five stone on, stone on over the last few years. To me, when anybody loses a lot of weight or puts on a lot of weight, I see huge things must be going on for them emotionally. We don't think enough about how people use food and can use food in the same way that people use alcohol or drugs. And it's to, 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 to you know, quell pain. And in your case, you know, your pain is very clearly loneliness. And, you know, when I think back to when I used to go to Overeaters Anonymous mm. and I learnt those things about, all those things that I had no consciousness about, that when I eat compulsively, it's also attached to my ADHD. When I was eating compulsively, I was trying to deal with my anxiety by putting food in my mouth and chewing. And I don't know if it's the same for you, but 
um, I, I can, if I really think about it, and I can think of occasions when I really overeat, I am totally unaware, really, that I'm eating. I'm stuffing. There's a different thing. I'm stuffing down emotions. I'm swallowing down feelings that I can't deal with. Mm. So for me, saying go on a diet and do more exercise is really just the set dressing. It's like what's going on deep inside of you. And four or five stone is a lot for you to deal with because it's not only you know, the worry of your health, but also that will be massively impacting on your confidence and will be making you feel more more isolated and will probably be, be like increasing these feelings of jealousy and inadequacy. So I would suggest, it's not for everybody, and I would suggest that maybe Overeaters Anonymous might be a good thing for you because it really was for me. And... You know, Mark can tell you a bit more about anonymous meetings because they're the same. I mean, whether it's alcohol, whether it's cocaine, whatever. But it really helped me have consciousness of what I was doing when I was overeating. And it's the first thought, second thought, oh, my God, right, I feel so sad I'm going to eat this cake. Well, the comfort of the cake is going to be minutes. The horror and the self-loathing afterwards can last hours and days. So I just kept doing that and every time I was going to food I would say to myself again this is what Overeaters Anonymous taught me am I tired am I lonely am I angry because often I would be eating when I was angry and I didn't want to say how I was feeling so it's a really interesting investigation to work out what the connection is to the what 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 you know if your mouth is full with food and you're swallowing you're not having to say how you're feeling so you're swallowing down your feelings and then you get on this terrible like treadmill of just the repetitive you know behaviors just one last thing before i move over to mark now this the shin splints they're horrible aren't they shin splints but I don't know if you know this, and I don't know if it's the same across all areas, but I, I certainly know a friend of mine that went to a GP with real feelings of low mood and did manage to get on the National Health a uh, gym membership. And if you could work with a trainer, I, I don't know, you'll have to look into this, but even if you can't get a trainer in, 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 you know, at a gym... If you go up to, you know, somebody that's working in the gym, they will always help you find a way to find some exercise where you don't have to work your injury. So, for instance, sitting down and, you know, lifting weights, you can do with shin splints. And the only reason I'm saying this about the exercise is not about your weight, not about getting thinner, but about that fantastic you know, release of free, happy hormones, illegal drugs, legal drugs that your body can produce. And, and you know, maybe you really need a bit of that, a bit of pumping up. But, yeah, I'm going to hand over to Mark now because I know that you will have a lot to say. On low mood, you know about that. Well, I mean, the thing I want to talk about first is university. It's, university is a really pressured environment mm. to be sociable in, to be alone in, and it's very easy to feel lonely at university. I did. Um, it's that weird thing where you're artificially all thrown together, 
uh, you're told by every irritating adult you've ever met in your life that it'll be the best years of your life. <laughs> um, you're wondering whether you're doing the right course. You've got the added uh, pressure now, which I didn't have, of, uh, you know, you're racking up huge debt and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's an incredibly pressured time. And, uh, you know, one of the things we often say on this is it says it's important to share as much as it is to solve because I think by sharing, you, there may be that comfort in going, oh, right, oh, okay, oh, right, even Mark. Now, in my third year at college, I admittedly was in a relationship, but the contrast between that last year and the first year was so stark. I had huge swathes of feeling very lonely um, as a couple, but also as an individual in that relationship. And I know that's slightly different, but you've got a boyfriend too, admittedly not at college. So one of the things to say is, don't feel like, ah, I'm marked as, you know, I'm, I'm failing somehow. Because I think something about university and going to college is if, you, if it's not zinging and hitting all the right notes and ringing all the right bells and all that kind of stuff, one gets a sense of failure, that then embeds itself in you. You then to ex you then begin to exude a sense of kind of isolation. And, and you know what I mean? All that sort of stuff starts to kind of encroach upon you and compound the problem. So that's university. It's not unusual to feel lonely. It's a very difficult place to feel like you belong. Um, you have a boyfriend. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about sort of pragmatic things. What would I have done in this instance? I mean, one of the things I was wondering was whether... You have friends, people are busy. When your boyfriend does visit, maybe because you're so sort of desperate for company, you're erring on the side of really sort of spending time together, which makes sense. But if, if, if you're in a loving relationship and a supportive relationship, it might be not a bad idea to see if you can, um, not hijack, that sounds sort of like weird, but you know, jump on, sort of, you know, piggyback a social situation with some people that you know is happening, and then you've got the company of your boyfriend to go with you so that it's less sort of stark, you're less on your own, you're less walking in, it's less difficult to kind of conquer things. So I was wondering whether you could use your boyfriend as some kind of almost physical ballast that kind of gets you through the door, is, is there with you, helps sort of massage you into any social situations that are there. The other thing I wanted to sort of ask was how much do others know you're on your own? And this is something that Nadia was talking about in terms of perhaps sending this note to people. But, you know, how much do... But, you know, look, everyone is, is in a very meaningful way and understandably self-obsessed. Everyone's thinking about their own stuff. So how much do people, you know, around you at college know that you're feeling lonely and alone? I think if I'm honest and I look back, I probably exuded a proud sense that I was mm. all right. And so people would be like, oh, he's all right. Because of the taboo around it. Absolutely. Yeah. And so what you might find is that in a moment, of course, the, the, the devil is in the detail of when is that moment. Uh, it, you know, if there's a moment where you, you just reach out to someone and say, God, do you ever feel kind of like a bit on your own down here? You might find someone falling over themselves to kind of go, yes, I do feel like that. Uh, that might help too. You'll be surprised by how many people are hiding the same issues as, as you. Um, yes, it sounds like there's depression crept in. Yes, it sounds like, you know, just from the way in which you describe your relationship with food, but also your relationship with exercise. If you've got shin splints, then you're clearly compulsively kind of exercising in a way that I have done and sometimes still do, which is addictively. Now, I think the solutions for you perhaps lie actually in two of the problems that you're identifying. So shin splints, injury, okay, got to get past that first. 
find a running group. See if there's a running group locally. You don't have to pay for gym membership. You you can go at any rate. There'll be people that, you know, that's another way of perhaps, you know, broadening your social circle. And as Nadia says, in terms of Overeaters Anonymous, 12-step programs, again, there's this fear. And I get it. I still get it now. And it's a struggle for me to walk through the door. Oh, I don't want to be seen as this, or I don't want to be, it's anonymous. You're not going to be seen as anything by anyone. You're going to be, you know, you go in, you can share some of your issues, but most importantly, you will connect with people who you might come out with. Friends. Make friends. Exactly. So do you see what I mean? In the two potential dilemmas that you have or problems, exercise, injury, uh, obviously get past the injury first, and uh, overeating, there may be actually social possibilities there. Um, and the other thing I would say as well is, I've just made a note here, are you following social events? I think one of the other things that's really difficult at university, and it is specifically about university, is there are posters, I used to put the fly posters up for all these gigs, there are posters everywhere telling you there's this event, there's that event, and your assumption is that everyone is going to all these events, you're the only one who's not going to all these events, and you feel even more isolated. You know, see if you can actually drive a social situation. I don't mean with lots of people, because that might be too much. But, you know, with one person that you particularly connect with, would you like to go to the cinema or would you like to do something? Because the tendency at uni is you feel like you're chasing FOMO. You feel like, you're, even back in my day, FOMO, you feel like you're chasing something. And, 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 and your, your social sort of dilemma is being dictated to by the social calendar of this institution blasting stuff at you. Whereas actually step aside from what the uni is saying and what they're promoting and just go, actually, you know what? Would it be really nice just to go to, for a walk or go for a run or go and see a film with someone else? It's just a, it's just a little kind of re-skewing. You, know, you know what makes me sad just listening to you? Because I would never have known you would have been... You've never said to me you were lonely at university. I was possibly when the loneliest you, I've ever been in the last year at college. Yeah. When you think about how many other lonely people there will be in her university. Yeah. I mean, it's such a shame that they don't have Loneliness Anonymous at university. I mean, I don't Some know what sort you... of group where you can yeah. just turn up if you're lonely. But it, but it is so... You know, because of this taboo, like... it. it it makes it so difficult for lonely people to reach out. But I would suggest there are more lonely people in the world than non-lonely people. It doesn't matter if you're in a crowd. You're going to see people in pubs and there'll be all those kind of uni people. There'll be people who are extraordinarily lonely because they don't feel they're actually with the right people. Or Even the really popular-looking person can be lonely. So, you know, I was I, after reading your letter, I was having a look on um, Mind web, website, which I would say, check out Mind, because they've got lots of... Good tips on there. And one of the things that they say, it is so difficult to do this, but try your very best not to compare yourself to others. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there could be somebody that looks like they're having the time of their life and they might be lonelier than you. And by comparing yourself, you reduce your, you know, ability to step out. Also, there is a um, there is a group called Side by Side. We'll put these up underneath here, which um, that Mind recommend to reach out to. And a lot of the obvious things, you know, maybe start with trying to join a group online, first of all. I mean, you can certainly do OA online, first of all, if, if you're scared about walking into a room, make some connections. Um, there are lots of social societies as well in universities. I'm sure you've tried this. I mean, I, I went straight to university and signed up with a running club and never went. I mean, you know, there are there are lots of organisations, and there will be there will be however big or well funded your college is, 
there will be a welfare officer or department. That's what I was going to say. Is so there no sort of pastoral care that you some. could go and... Yeah. I know that everybody I know whose kids are at university, they all have these mm. counsellors. How mm. good they are, I don't know. Um, but also, you know, if underneath this there is real low mood, a chance of a bit of depression or something, I would suggest absolutely that you also talk to your doctor. And if you don't have a sympathetic doctor, find a sympathetic doctor. You have a right to have a sympathetic doctor. Also... Uh, and it's good advice on mind. They say, look at your food and mood. You want to try and keep your blood sugar levels quite constant. And they have a whole thing on their website as well. Because if you're binging out on high sugar or high fat, that will crash you back down. Mm. Try and stay away from drugs and alcohol. I don't know whether you drink or whether you take drugs. Mm. I'm just saying this is a general thing. Because it's easy to think, oh, I'll, I'll down this half a bottle of wine tonight. Because then it will just get rid of tonight. Yeah. But the next day it's going to make it harder. So... Yeah. But, yeah, please please uh, let us know how you get on. If you mm. try any of the things that we've advised, uh, let us know if anything helped. And, and don't feel marked as odd or on your it's own. Really it's really brave and impressive yeah. to say, I need help. It, and it's more, and loneliness is more common than you think. You know. it's, consider, not, it's, not, it's not a taboo. And consider showing your family and friends the email that you sent us, maybe. That's a good idea. Just take the bits out about us. <laughs> um, okay, this one again, this next one is uh, anonymous. This is a dilemma all parents face. Oh, well, I said, well, not all parents, actually. Sometimes I hear about how parents don't face this dilemma at all. I think, bloody hell, how not? My 16-year-old is wanting to take alcohol to parties. He's about one of the last ones to do it uh, out of his friends. How do you manage this in a positive way? I don't want alcohol to be the forbidden fruit, so I am thinking I will allow some... But any tips on how to manage it? Mm. I've, had, I've had one million conversations with my kids about this. Oh, my God. I mean, this is really difficult. Now, of course, for anyone who doesn't know, I've been sober for 18 years, recovering alcoholic, went into rehab, you know, had a, an incredibly colourful and awful um, experience with alcohol. And the reason I say colourful and awful is it's really... The first thing I would say is an absolute given. And this isn't necessarily what you're asking, but it will kind of bed into what I think is, is one of the possible solutions here. If you ever say to your kids, don't do something, uh, they're going to do it. And if you say something... There's a chance, a very well, high chance. Not by, always. No, no, no. no. <laughs> but by, I think if you work as a... I think as a parent, if you work on that assumption, it, it, it's you're kind of putting yourself in a better position, personally. Um, and so, you know, I think it's important to say that and, and illustrate that you can have fun with alcohol, but you have to treat it with caution. And I've always said to the girls, try and make um, alcohol a fun acquaintance, someone you like to catch up with every now and then, someone you have a bit of a laugh with, but don't make it your closest friend because it, it can become something that they start to lean on a little bit too much. Now, I would say, Wow, congratulations to your, um, was it your son, your 16-year-old, um, for not having picked up a drink yet or, or done this or for this happening at the age of 16. That is quite something in a culture and in a world where, you know, alcohol is absolutely everywhere, as are drugs, obviously. Um, it sounds like, you know, for whatever reasons, that's good. I mean, Nadia will talk probably a bit about how, you know, just the de for developmental reasons, not even necessarily for sort of emotional dependence, you know, excessive drinking and all that kind of stuff. I don't think you can 
I think if you sit them down, sit him down and have a conversation with him about the fact that, yeah, absolutely, you know, you want him to be able to take alcohol with him. You want him to be able to, to, be able to drink in a positive way. I mean, you know, the jury's out on how positive it can be, but for sure, you know, he will be able to go out and he will be able to go to a party and have a nice time with having a few drinks. I mean, often one of the biggest stresses for youngsters around drinking isn't necessarily about always wanting to get absolutely rat-assed and, and do stupid things and all that kind of stuff. It's about belonging and it's about the way in which your peer group, or as I used to call it, peer pressure, beer pressure, your, your beer group, um, make you feel if you don't drink. And there are all sorts of strategies that if he doesn't want to drink too much, I don't know how much of this is about him not having brought, had the problem up until 16 is about him just not fancying alcohol, which could be the case, or how much of it is about him not having had the opportunity or how much of it has been about you not letting him. So I, I haven't really got a sense of that. But I would argue that, you know, by stepping forward and saying it's all right to have a drink and it's all right to have a few drinks, but be careful beyond a certain point I think um, is realistic. You've got to be realistic. Nadia make, makes a fair point. You don't necessarily promote it, but I think turning up to a party with, an, with a drink, being seen to have a drink, and you can make that drink. Check out the series on Netflix, Beef. There's a very effective and funny scene where a young guy pretends he's drinking and isn't drinking and everyone around him gets really drunk. It's very funny. But... You know, there are ways of being able to sort of look part of the thing, be part of the thing, have a few drinks and not actually get rat -assed. Um I would say, you know, you know, you manage it by just being honest and being frank and by saying, yeah, absolutely, take a few drinks, it's fine. You take the kind of rebellion out of it. <laughs> this is funny because I disagree with so much of what Mark just said, <laughs> which is good um, because, first of all, I think we have, we are, well, I've realised we're totally out of touch with how young people drink compared to how we all drank as young people. When I was growing up, there was no vodka. I mean, just vodka wasn't at parties. We didn't, I don't think I even knew about vodka. Whereas, because I do have a very open relationship, the girls do tend to talk to me more about alcohol because of Mark's, Mark, Mark's sobriety. You know, my God, when they actually tell you the truth of how young people drink, it is terrifying. And it's large amounts of vodka. And when they say a drink, oh, I had a vodka, what they're talking about is they love to all use these red cups that they see in American movies. <laughs> and when you drill into what, what is a vodka? That's what I said, what is a vodka? And they go, oh, it's like that much with that much... Um, fizz on the top and I'm like do you know what actually let's get a measure out and so I actually got a measure out and I said do you know that this is what a measure of vodka is and got like the measure out and they were like really I said, yeah it's like a it's like a tablespoon <laughs> and actually it was a real revelation to them so first of all I would say to you you know you there's going to be all kinds of alcohol there um, if I would really, really prefer it if you didn't drink these drinks, these heavy spirits, because the impact on your brain, your memory, 
your ability to pass your GCSE, all of this will be impacted if you drink. Because actually, it's not up till 25, your brain is still growing. But I say it in a very casual way. I don't sit them down and have the serious conversation because they just want to get away from it. Every conversation I've had with them about alcohol, it's been on the move, or I've just casually said like, oh, what do you think one vodka is? Oh, let me just show you and got down the measurer and showed them the measure and... Um, well, someone has shown me what yeah, the measure was. And show them the measure. But, but, but we, weren't, we just weren't drinking hard spirits like this, you know, and, like, when they're in just general conversation and they'll say things like, oh, so-and-so's, that everyone calls them a lightweight, and I say, oh, I love a lightweight. Oh, my God, it's... Oh, the person who's a lightweight is so lucky. A, they're just going to, like... They're just going to not as drink as much as everybody else, and they're not as going to get a zeal and all of this sort of stuff. Because no child, I don't believe, no child that is drinking goes to have a nice... Because they like a nice Cabernet Sauvignon and they just want a couple of drinks with their friends. It doesn't happen. I think children that are drinking are drinking because they want to have a big, different feeling from what they're having. As Mark says, it's so true, it's peer pressure. So, you know, the lightweight thing, oh, you can't get pissed. Oh, they see somebody else having four shots and laughing their head off and they want a taste of that. So it's about saying, yeah, it can make you feel like that. My, my God, it's so embarrassing if you're sick everywhere and the boy that you fancy is there and you've just puked up all day. And so, like, over the years when they've told me about stories of other friends of theirs and how sick they've been, we've had a really big conversation about, oh, God, can you imagine how much she's cringed over the years? So it's about... It's that really difficult line of not everything being about a lesson, but it's about being in a conversation, a chatty conversation with them. Because I think you can say all day long, take two ciders and sip them through the night. But when that pressure comes in, you know, and I've said to my daughters, you know, and, and there's one, one of our daughters very much that really, really doesn't like alcohol and doesn't like the feeling of it. And I've said to her, you know, watch them do the first shots because really after those first few shots, and you've said this to them as well, Nobody actually knows what you're drinking. But that's what I'm saying yeah. about the strategy of like looking like yeah. you're drinking more. I mean, I don't think I disagree with you. I mean, no one's going to go and actively not have too many. But I they want to get drunk. Yeah, but they I, I, I suppose drunk. maybe in a way it's about a two pronged attack. I think all I'm suggesting is if you try and demonise drink from the get go, and that's your only approach to it, and that kind of chimes with you saying make it not a lesson. You know, you're gonna you're gonna drive. I personally think you're gonna drive them to drink more. I think, yeah, by stealth, drop those kind of. You know, you're gonna look uncool. It's gonna be a bit of shame. You're gonna vomit. You're gonna yeah. But kids are gonna. You know, the They're vast do, majority yeah. of kids are gonna do it anyway. And that's why I think it's so important. And we always say this to the girls: we don't want you to drink heavily mm. for all kinds of reasons. We accept that there may be times when you just want to or you feel the peer pressure but reach out to us and tell us and I've had a conversation with the girls many well, not both of them but I've had conversations with the girls over time when you know they've drunk and they didn't want to drink or da 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 and there's been no recrimination I've not told them off we've talked through what happened what led you to that what happened just before how did you feel afterwards and then, oh, well, hopefully that won't happen again, you know, so... It's a fine line, though, because if, if you say a little bit to... I mean, you're right, because one of the credos I think we've lived by a bit is, look, it, you know, if you get into a really kind of tricky situation, mm. you've drunk too much, or someone you're with has drunk too much, things have got out of hand in some way, 
always feel you can call us. There will not be a telling off first and a judgment first and a how and a why and a what. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's just worrying about because their that, safety. That, and also that will make them not feel they can reach out. They've got always, you know, I think it's incumbent on a, you as a parent to say, look, there's always a safe route out if you get if you get in touch with me. I mean, I think it also does depend upon your family's attitude to drink as well. Mm. I mean, you know, if you, I mean, we're in a very unusual situation where I'm sober. I make a big point of, of I can't pretend that there wasn't a huge allure to drink to me and that I didn't, wasn't drawn to it because otherwise I wouldn't be a recovering alcoholic. I, you know, I had to go through a journey of sorts. So I try to be candid about it. Obviously, as you're sort of like saying the thing about which drinks would you prefer them to drink? Of course, I, you know, one would obviously prefer them to drink lower alcohol drinks, take drinks in, you know, that, that aren't these kind of vodkas and all that kind of stuff. But I tell you now, there is nothing more difficult as an adult sitting amongst, in our industry, in any industry, a bunch of people all looking to just kick back, not necessarily looking to get drunk, but just looking to kick back and the drinks flow and the drinks flow and the drinks flow. For example, I mean, you were at an event the other day, which looked like great fun. I couldn't have been there beyond a certain point because everyone will get to that point. So what I would have had to have done in the past was have a drink. So why is it any different, if not worse and more difficult for kids? So I think you have to be realistic. You know, do, as Nadia says, have sort of chats by stealth. I also think that you kind of say, yeah, okay, well, you know, don't disallow it. Don't try and prevent it. And just give as many words and sort of, you know, statements of caution. And I mean, again, this is just what we've done with our children. So your child could be a very different sort Mm. of person. Like one friend of mine... You know, her son dog, is by the way. her son is really unusual. Mm. He he really really doesn't want to drink, and mm. he leaves the party early. And it's not. I think too often in this country we just say to all children, "Oh, well, you'll be going to university, and you'll be getting pissed every night." Mm. And it's almost like sometimes they don't have the option. Yeah. You know. So the thing is, is the other thing we've always said. You know, a lot of young people do want to get pissed. You might be one of those people. You might not give them the chance to not be like everybody else. Um, yeah, and, and I think we all have to be realistic as parents, don't we? Like doctors are. Whatever somebody says to a doctor that they're drinking, they triple it. Mm. And I think it's often the same with the kids. And I think it's also, but not all kids. And I think it's also really just a point because you're asking about how to manage it. But really, it's not just about managing it in a positive way for your son or child. It's also about how to manage it in a positive way for you. If they go out and get rat assed and make a huge tit of themselves and, uh, you know, and what have you... Don't feel fatalistic about it. It doesn't mean your child is an alcoholic. I mean, one of the things I do to, for example, only the other day I was talking, it wasn't to one of our daughters actually, it was to someone else, and I said, uh, yeah, look, I know you're going out to have a drink. I know you're wanting to kind of get past something. I said, try and have a drink from the POV of being excited and, and delighted about what's going on for you now. Look at the positive. I said, I know it's easy to say that because drink is a depressive. So if, you know, as a child, try and encourage your children. I, try, I always talk about trying not to drink around emotions, you know, as a means to fix or, you know, I've had terrible news, let's just go out and get blasted. Because that, that's a, I do believe actually, you know, even for now, you know, it's a downward traje- trajectory means that you program your brain into thinking or youngsters program their brain into thinking alcohol can solve this or numb this or take me away from it. And, and so many adults joke. do that every yeah, night when they not. pop open a bottle of wine to finish off the day because the day was shit. Yeah. And so also, 
your own behaviours around alcohol, you mm. are the greatest influencer Absolutely. on your children. So, good, yeah. so, I mean, Mark is sober. I was a chaotic drunk before I had children. You know, I'm not ashamed to say it. I was. I was an idiot. I was mm. a mess. And I do talk to the kids about that. And they don't see me pop open anything when I'm sad or angry. I, ne I It's the worst thing for me is when I drink if I'm feeling sad. It makes it worse. So the only time they see me drink, apart from a few big hiccups over the years, is like they see me just to have a few and have a bit of fun and then stop. The nine times out of ten, they'll see me have a cup of tea, won't they? Mm. They don't go to bed having seen me drink right up until they've gone to bed. Mm. I have a couple of glasses of wine with my dinner and then I move on to tea and I relax and I... And so think about, it's always about thinking about what do your children mm. see with the alcohol? Is it the first sign of sun? Are the rosé bottles popping all day long and you're just sitting all day long in the garden drinking while your children are playing? I mean, the, the, these things do make a difference. Yeah, simple little it's things the culture, like... It's the culture within your own home of exactly. alcohol. Exactly, I think that's a really important point. It's, it's simple things like, you know, if you wake up, if your kids wake up on a Sunday morning and, and they see bottles of wine all over the table that you've just had with your partner or whatever, and, and half-filled glasses of wine or what have you, it is, it, that, goes stuff, in that stuff goes in. And also mm. the other thing I would say, I mean, I have little choice in this, um, is to demonstrate you can have... Not just a laugh, because that sounds really fun. Excuse my language. This word. That sounds really trite. Oh, I can have a laugh. Actually, you can be batshit pretty crazy, and you can be off the wall, and you can be unpredictable, mm. and you can be totally inappropriate, which lots of followers of the channel will know I am, without having a drop of alcohol in you. Because I think mm. a lot of people, a lot of youngsters, when I look at how the kids talk and how their friends talk, for many, alcohol is seen as a gateway to silliness and games and truth or dare and all that kind of stuff. But if you can try and get into your kids' lives the idea that, you know what, yeah, okay, you can do that with a drink, but you can also do it without a drink, there won't be that attachment mm. of a good and the time is only of, a drink. The best way for them to learn that is not you sitting down and telling them, but to show them. Show them. It's like have you don't dance. have to have you don't have to drink in the garden all day every time it's a sunny day. Yeah, or exactly. I mean, yeah. we're talking very generally here, yeah. or like you don't have to every night have a drink. Or yeah. maybe sometimes if you really do want a drink every night, maybe just don't show them every night. Or you can dance really badly without a drink in it. <laughs> Yeah. Put some music on and that. But like anyway, thank you for that. Yeah, because it you. made us rethink as well, mm. and it's good. It's really good because, you know, we're always reevaluating, isn't mm. it? How do we help our kids navigate their way through this latest bloody thing? We're always, Mark and I don't have a single day. We we don't question what we've done, mm. or whether we or what we're going to do in the future as parents. So it is an ongoing conversation. So thank you for letting us have the conversation again. Thank you very much. Right, well, thank you. I, uh, I do love these podcasts. Yeah, I really do. They really, really make, really make me think. And you know, Useful as I said, to us as much as I hope it's in any way useful to you guys. Um, but it is that thing of sharing similarities, your own experiences. You know, it's interesting, this whole one on, on alcohol. You know, there's no one size fits all. In anything. In, in anything. So, anything. Yeah. Anyway, thank you. Thanks Please subscribe to the podcast or the YouTube channel. And um, we will see you next week with uh, How to Stay Married So Far. If we're married. <laughs>